to the Lowenstein Sandler podcast series. I'm Kevin Iredell, Chief Marketing Officer at Lowenstein Sandler. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Now let's take a listen. Hello, and welcome to Don't Take No for an Answer. I'm your host, Linda Bennett, Chair of the Insurance Recovery Practice at Lowenstein Sandler. And today I am very thrilled to have three guests with me to discuss some of the legal liability issues that are swirling around Facebook. We are very honored and pleased to have Garrett Drogi with IMA Financial Group. He's the Director of Innovation and Strategy. So welcome, Garrett. Thanks for joining us today. I've got my partner, Kathleen McGee, who is in our white collar defense and tech group. Welcome, Kathleen. And I've got Joe Seka, who is senior counsel in our insurance recovery group and a wonderful policyholder advocate. So as I mentioned in today's episode, we're going to be talking about that swirl of legal liability surrounding Facebook. We've all been following this now for a couple of years, and we know that regulators have been very actively looking into some of the trade practices that Facebook has engaged in. Facebook is also facing a number of consumer protection suits. And many of us saw in the last month or so that they now have added employment litigation to their list of legal concerns to have. As a whistleblower, left the company with a cache of documents that included some very difficult emails for Mark Zuckerberg to have to wade his way through that has potentially expanded the circle of liability for him to face personal liability. So that's really what we're going to be focusing in on today and looking at not only what is the nature of that personal liability that he faces, but because this is an insurance recovery podcast, we're also going to be talking about potential insurance that may be available to address some of those legal liabilities. So I'd like to start today with Kathleen. Why don't you give us an overview of this new development with Mr. Zuckerberg facing personal liability. What are the nature of the claims and what's he looking at here? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me today. It's truly an honor to be part of your podcast. So this is a really interesting update from the District of Washington, Washington, D.C., from their Attorney General's Office, Carl Racine, who had, along with several other attorneys general in the United States, opened investigations into Facebook surrounding their partnership with Cambridge Analytica, which we all remember fondly from around 2018, 2017. But after engaging in several years worth of depositions and discovery, the Washington, D.C. Attorney General's Office decided that they were going to name Zuckerberg personally. And they did that because they said that they saw real personal knowledge and personal control over actions taken involving Cambridge Analytica. The knowing element here is really important. And so I want to just take a step back and talk about the statute under which they're operating. Virtually, I think every single attorney general's office in the United States and its territories is going to have some version of what's called a UDAP law. It's an unfair and deceptive practices law. The FTC has their own version of that. And that was, in fact, used in part and parcel to pursue Facebook several years previously. That was that famous $5 billion fine. 
So here, when Washington, D.C. decides to pursue Facebook, they're doing it under their version of a UDAP law. It's D.C.'s Consumer Protection Procedures Act, which requires truthful information to consumers. And like most UDAP laws, it's a broad umbrella. You can fit a lot underneath it. So here, they're taking a look at whether or not Facebook made truthful disclosures to their consumers about their privacy practices and how their data was being used. Most broadly, Cambridge Analytica is not the only instance that they're going to be looking at here, but it was certainly the most famous. And what they're basically alleging in a nutshell is that Facebook and Zuckerberg, who had personal knowledge and helped to control this program in particular, understood and knew that on the face, what they were representing to consumers about, you know, those glossy big type letters, how we use your data was not in fact the practice. And it looks like they have information now sufficient to add him to the banner. So Kathleen, let me, let me interrupt you there and ask, why is this a game changer though? Is this a game changer because there was an administration change and the regulators are more focused on individuals, or is it really particular to what Facebook was doing and and what the regulators are trying to accomplish in the social media space in particular? So it's not so much a change in regime from Washington, D.C.'s perspective, but I think it's a product of their having conducted extensive discovery over a period of years, getting deep into the documents, and then taking a look at the really scope and breadth of their alleged harm. And if you see that there is what they, I think, are claiming is really, really alleged deep harm to consumers in D.C. with respect to their privacy and real hands-on knowledge from an executive, they're going to put those two together. I'm going to note some of the articles that have been written about Washington, D.C.'s latest action here, and it just took place in October of 2021, are that the Washington, D.C. law allows that jurisdiction to sue individuals. Well, frankly, all UDAP laws do. Because individuals and corporations, you can just be an individual running your own corporate entity. This piercing of the corporate veil, though, and going after Zuckerberg independently as a defendant is unique in terms of sort of larger corporate, I'm going to call them prosecutions for UDAP infractions. And I think it signals a willingness to hold executives accountable when they are personally liable for things that they know or should have known were misleading or deceptive. And that is going to have broader implications, especially now that there are more and more indications, for example, board members and executives have to sign off on things like data security policies for companies and those sorts of things. Yeah, so that was going to be my question. If I, if I don't have Zuckerberg's balance sheet and I'm serving on a board, am I okay? Like, is he just a big, juicy, flashy target here? Or if you're serving on any board, do you need to have a little bit of a chill going down your spine that this step is being taken to assert personal liability? I think it really depends on how, how much you're rolling up your sleeves and getting involved with something that you know or should have known would be perceived as deceptive by government. So let's just start there. But I do think that this should be a wake-up call for boards and the C-suite that it's time to make sure that your practices and procedures are aligned with law, especially where laws requiring that you sign off on practices. When I think about financial or insurance companies, for example, where those boards have to sign off on privacy procedures in order to comply with Graham-Leach-Bliley, 
that's a great example of where those executives and board members need to make sure that they are holding their companies accountable and that their knowledge is reflective of lawful action. Great. Well, that's a good segue too. So Mr. Seika, tell us about where insurance lies in the middle of all of this. Are these directors and officers going to be safe in the assumption that if they do get sued, their insurance company is going to immediately step up and defend these cases? Never assume that you're definitely going to be covered, but I think insurance has to be part of the picture. I think one of the clear points that that comes away from from Kathleen's discussion is don't underestimate the ingenuity of the plaintiff's bar or regulators, and we're dealing with new technologies, new regulations, and unknown risks. And Kathleen can talk to you a lot about solid risk mitigation practices, but it's not realistic to think that you're going to completely eliminate the risk of claims. So I think insurance serves that important role of backstop after uh, you've really uh, implemented a lot of Kathleen's recommendations. One of the things that Kathleen emphasized is that this liability is arising out of or from a statute, number one. So I want you to comment on, you know, our statutory liability is covered under insurance policies in this instance. And then number two, Kathleen emphasized a couple of times that this is coming under an unfair trade practices type of act. So Joe, comment a little bit on the uniqueness of how this liability is arising and where we'll find ourselves on the coverage picture for that. So let's start with the, the types of insurance policies that may respond. And I think there, if, if listeners take away one thing, it's the notion that, that one insurance policy may respond should not enter your mind because you need to be looking and considering coverage in a, in a number of different places. So we'll talk about CGL that's going to cover personal and advertising injury. You want to look at cyber insurance policies, of course. You want to look at DNO policies. If a claim is being asserted by an employee, you want to consider EPL coverage. So depending on the nature of the allegations and who's asserting them, any number of those policies could potentially respond. And emphasizing just the, the nature of regulatory claims or claims alleging unfair trade practices. One of the the recent trends that we're seeing for cyber insurance policies is carriers trying to really reduce limits for regulatory claims. So you want to try to get as much regulatory coverage as possible. You want to make sure that your DNO policy extends to claims by regulators at as high of a limit as possible. When you talk about unfair trade practices claims, I think one of the, the immediate things that come to mind is Are there going to be allegations of intentional wrongdoing? And if there are, you want to make sure that your policy is going to at least provide defense coverage unless and until there's been a a final adjudication that your conduct was intentionally or deliberately wrongful. Yeah, key point there that just because you're accused of intentional or potentially fraudulent conduct doesn't mean you don't get your defense. So Garrett, jump in the game here. And tell us how you think the insurance industry is going to respond to this potential expanded liability, recognizing that DNO and cyber, two of the products that Joe just talked about, are the most underwater and swamped with other types of claims already. So give us a beat into what you think the insurance industry is going to do with this latest development. Yeah, and Linda, thanks so much for having me on. I think I'm the only non-attorney on the call. I'm, I'm but a humble insurance <laughs> broker. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, the the DNO and cyber markets have been hardening rapidly for the past two to three years. DNO, especially for a little bit longer, a uh, number of factors there. Me Too movement sort of kicked that 
off, a lot of M&A activity, the environment, a lot of the SPAC, DSPAC environment. And then cyber rates have increased dramatically since 2019, mostly related to ransomware. And I know this discussion's around privacy, but I'll say individual directors and officers are at risk of being named in lawsuits for both privacy and cybersecurity failures. And we're focused on Facebook here, but SolarWinds also just announced claims against a mix of current and former directors for knowing about and failing to monitor cybersecurity risk. So the, the risk is real for being named individually. With the market already strained, I don't think more litigation is going to help. You know, Joe mentioned some of the, the challenges there. You're dealing with non-standardized markets, both. So it's not like you know, traditional insurance, CGL, where many policies look the same. Here, it's, you've got 31 flavors and then some each structured individually quite differently. So it's, it's kind of a giant puzzle to fit your DNO and your cyber, making sure they dovetail. Most of the time they don't. So for example, one of hundreds that I could give, you know, privacy incidents are often excluded on DNO, which for the purposes of today's discussion, that's, that's a problem. And on the converse, securities claims often excluded on the cyber policy, also a bit of a, an issue. Right. Both you and Joe have really driven home the point that we talk a lot about on this podcast, which is your insurance program is a patchwork quilt and you better make sure that it's tightly sewn and that there aren't any holes in the quilt. So my question though is, based on what you just said, is it higher prices or and, and higher retentions that will be the answer here and I just need to go buy more limits or are you anticipating that there'll be a capacity squeeze in even getting what you want and need because the liabilities are expanding, the claims keep coming, et cetera? Yes, is the answer. What we're advising clients with regards to cyber is whatever your limits were last year, count on getting that cut in half and paying the exact same or plus 20%. That's just the reality of the marketplace right now. Capacity is an issue across the board. If you're building a large DNO tower, you're used to building layers in five and ten million dollar blocks. Now you're putting it together in two point five million blocks, and it becomes much more complex. Retentions are getting higher, premiums are getting higher, coverage is getting constricted. It's not a buyer friendly market right now. But you know, as as a good insurance broker, I would always recommend buy as much limit as you can get right now. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've got just a couple of minutes left here, so I want to go back around the horn and ask each of you the same question, which is, what is your one or two pieces of advice to companies? to put themselves in the best position to mitigate this risk exposure that certainly existed before, but is much larger today than it was a month ago. So Kathleen, why don't you go ahead and start? I would say don't avoid knowing what's happening within the company just because you think that way. You can avoid liability. You need to know what the policies and procedures are for your company. You need to own them. And your job is to make sure that you are doing the right thing because regardless, if something bad happens, someone's going to take a second look at you. I know that seems a little harsh, but that is where we're at at this point. Well, that's great risk management before you ever tap into your insurance policy. So that's a great tip. Joe, what, what's your two cents? Yeah, I mean, even assuming the insurers are, are tightening up language, there's commonly a lag between the, the claims activity to when the insurers actually put in those restrictions. So you want to think broadly about your insurance policies, and you want to think broadly about the allegations that are being asserted against you. And remember, at least for when it comes to the defense, 
if there are even single allegations or single claims that are covered, then the insurer may have an obligation to provide 100% of defense coverage. And don't forget to notice everybody, every policy that may potentially get triggered here, you know, send out the letter first and sort it out later, right? All right, Garrett, bring it home for us. Other than putting more money in our piggy bank to pay our premium increases, what can we do? You know, I I once heard a GDPR supervisor say that the best defense for a privacy violation is just to show that you're trying. You know, make a plan to protect users' privacy and make some effort at enacting that plan. It does not have to be 100%. It likely never will be. You know, regulations and emerging risk are going to continue to evolve, but be able to point to something, anything. All right. Great. Well, there's obviously going to be more to come on this. We'll carefully watch and wait and see what happens to Mr. Zuckerberg at now Solar Winds, and I'm sure there'll be five more before the end of the year. So we'll be very happy to have you three back together, polish up your crystal ball for us in another six months or so. But thank you for your time today and look forward to seeing you all again soon. And same with our listeners. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Lowenstein Sandler podcast series is presented by Lowenstein Sandler and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. The information provided is intended for a general audience and is not legal advice or a substitute for the advice of counsel. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. The content reflects the personal views and opinions of the participants. No attorney-client relationship is being created by this podcast and all rights are reserved.